Hi guys, and welcome to Oh Crumbs, the gluten-free podcast. With me, Sarah Howells, the gluten-free blogger. And me, Laura Strange, my gluten-free guide. Hello and welcome back to Old Crumbs episode 4. Yay! Thank you so much for your feedback on our last episode with Healthy Living James. We've had loads of really positive messages and it's been great to hear your stories as well. So thank you for getting in touch with us. And also, congratulations to the winner of our Jane Devonshire book competition. Well done, Tiffany! And we'll be in touch with the winner of the James Wythe competition soon as well, which was to win one of three copies of the Healthy Living James ebook. So don't forget to keep listening for yet another amazing competition this week. So stay tuned and we'll be announcing details at the end. Now, Sarah, what have you been up to? This well, week? I will tell you what I've been up to this week. I have been traumatised <laughs> in my kitchen is what I've been up to. Oh, dear. Basically... I have been trying for months to make a vegan version of my millionaire shortbread recipe, which is one of my most popular recipes on my blog. Didn't think it was going to be as difficult as it actually was. Oh no. It turns out that vegan caramel is actually really difficult to make when you want to make it to replicate the way you'd make normal caramel. So I ended up doing many variations, some of which turn out like glue, some turn out like water... (laughs) It was a disaster. But how do you even make vegan caramel? Because obviously, like, normal caramel's got cream in it, hasn't it? Well, certainly the one I make does. So I tried to make a condensed coconut milk, Ooh. which turned out fine, but then I was finding that the caramel ended up with a really weird consistency. So very long story short, I ended up buying some condensed coconut milk off Amazon, which I must say is fantastic, and the caramel worked perfectly. So that recipe will hopefully be on the blog by the time this podcast comes out. <gasps> there you go the top tip direct from our master millionaire's shortbread maker thanks Sarah there you go I don't give those out very often (laughs) (laughs) and Laura what have you been up to this week um I've as always been eating I mean there's a there's an underlying trend (laughs) as to my life here on the blog on the blog on the podcast I've also read some really interesting articles um and so I'm gonna get my geek on and share some details here I've been reading up about the celiac vaccine trials uh, which you guys probably will have heard of they've been underway um in australia for a while and there's been some developments a slight an unfortunate development was that one of the trials has just been scrapped as the oh, latest no. round of human trials showed that the vaccine was not effective for celiacs oh hashtag fail uh, <laughs> well that's not great no but there are a couple of alternative routes being looked into and one good thing that came out of these failed trials, which was the next Vax2 trials, um, is a potential new testing method for celiac disease. This would be much faster and easier than the current methods. Obviously, the current methods being you've got to eat gluten for six weeks, heavy amounts of gluten. Like I think it's a minimum of four slices of gluten bread a day. And then you have blood tests and a small intestine biopsy. Um, and sorry, but personally, the idea of having to eat gluten for six weeks would be hell like if you're on a gluten-free diet already you'd feel awful wouldn't you well yeah if you knew that gluten made you ill I can understand why so many people think that they won't bother getting a celiac diagnosis and just eat gluten-free because they don't want to eat something that makes them feel awful for six weeks that's a long time to feel unwell just to get a diagnosis really totally like even if you think about like if you have a bad week where you've been like glutened maybe a couple of times and it knocks you for six yeah, hopefully this new testing method will 
all make some progress. Um, so basically, the researchers in the trial discovered a distinct immune marker in the blood of celiac participants. And this appeared just a few hours after a single gluten exposure. So they people had had one meal with gluten in it, and then the blood test showed up that there was this particular marker. And it has the potential to revolutionise testing methods, as I mentioned. Can you imagine, you'd only have to have like one gluten sandwich, then have your blood test, and then they could potentially tell you whether you have celiac disease or not. Researchers are looking into this at the moment and we'll keep you posted on coming months. Um, I've written a piece on my blog, well, I'm writing and hopefully it'll be live by the time this podcast goes out with some more like sciencey details because we didn't want to bore you guys with all the details today. So have a read if you're interested. We'll link to it in the show notes. And Sarah, like, I just think this would change everything. I think so many people are potentially undiagnosed because they're put off by the testing methods at the moment. Definitely. I mean, I get a lot of people contact me who are really reluctant to eat gluten again, or they're really like worried about things like an endoscopy, which is actually quite like an invasive thing to have but not not scary though like uh, to reassure people it's if they're having to go through endoscopy it's okay but totally daunting you're right yeah, yeah it's not a scary thing but it is something that kind of makes you think oh like I don't know if I want that and just for the sake when I could just cut gluten out anyway but obviously you know it's good to know if you have celiac because you do have to be careful and I think this would just be incredible if people could just have a blood test after eating one meal it would and it would speed it up incredibly as well for the NHS. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, saving loads of money. But anyway, let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, yes. And moving on to this week's question. So this week, we're doing things a little bit differently. We always ask you guys to send us your questions, and you can do that anytime on our email or on our social channels. But we do get a lot of questions about similar subjects. So this week, we've decided to talk about cross-contamination quite generally, because we thought that a lot of people ask us about it. So we'd run through some of our top tips. Um, Now, cross-contamination is really important when you have celiac disease, because even one tiny crumb of gluten can make you ill. And I don't know about you, Laura, but it's one of my bugbears when you go out to eat and a restaurant says they're gluten-free and then it turns out they're using the same chopping boards or they're frying things in the same oil. It's just a nightmare. No, it's not gluten-free. If you're cooking, chopping up on the same chopping board that's had gluten on it, it's going to be contaminated and not suitable for not just celiacs, but other people who are really sensitive to gluten. So it's just very frustrating exactly which is why we have come up with some top tips coincidentally i've actually been making a little video this week with some tips so these will probably cross over with that but i will link to that um in the show notes well that's good timing i know (laughs) (laughs) um so a couple of things that you guys can do one thing which is normally a big problem is toasters you should never put your gluten-free bread into a normal toaster it's crumb central so I would recommend that either you have your own toaster or if you don't have a big kitchen or you just don't want two toasters, you can actually buy toaster bags from places like Lakeland um, or Wilkinson's and they're really good to take travelling with you as well. You put the bread in there and it toasts normally but then you don't get any crumbs on it, so it's brilliant. A couple of other tips would be things like wiping worktops before you prepare food, using different pans, not using the same water for things like pasta or not using the same oil for frying gluten-free food as you would like normal food they're all kind of things you can do to kind of eliminate that risk Laura have you got any other tips you want to add oh yeah so the thing that really annoys me most is like the misunderstanding of 
what gluten is. So gluten's a protein. It's not a bacteria. So you can't use like hand sanitizer or other things to deactivate it. You have to wash it away. So if you're using um, any surfaces, you need to wash them down properly. Equally, like with your hands, make sure you wash your hands if you've been handling gluten. Like antibacterial hand wash or hand sanitizer isn't going to get rid of the gluten on your hands. The washing up or just using a dishwasher is fine. You don't need to worry about having a completely separate set of like cutlery and crockery as long as you've made sure they're clean that's all right and with a dishwasher maybe just give the plates a little rinse before you put them in to get rid of any like gluteny crumbs but like the dishwasher will do a good job so it should be fine although speaking of separate things one thing that's really good to have is different things like baking trays my friend has got a gluten-free baking tray that she keeps at her house just for when I go around because she's so worried about getting crumbs on any of my food which is really sweet and also I have my own like mesh tray for cooking pizza on a lot of people put pizza straight onto the oven shelf obviously I don't do that because I cook normal gluten pizzas in our house as well so we have these like mesh trays and I have my own gluten-free one that that no gluten pizzas are allowed on or I will lose it that's great (laughs) if you're going around someone's house you could also like use some tin foil or greaseproof paper couldn't you to put on a tray obviously give the tray a good wash first but you obviously can't be casting around your trays all the time. So that's like a good solution as like a quick fix. Or if you're cooking food for a celiac guest, like you can just pop that on your normal oven tray just to make sure it's safe for them. And other things, it's just like common sense. So things like when you've got a buffet and you've got different bowls of things, use different spoons and make sure people aren't switching the spoons between dishes so that you can keep everything separate. And also one thing that gets me a lot is crisps and dips. There's so many good gluten-free crisps out there. So if you want to have crisps and dip and you're sharing it with people, make sure that all the crisps are gluten-free and then you don't have to worry about people dipping their gluten Doritos into your dips. Isn't that right, Laura? Yes, I am an avid crisps and dip fan. <laughs> um, and it breaks my little crisp-loving heart when people dip their gluten crisps <laughs> into my dip and I'm there with my sad, dry potato crisps. But anyway, you know... First world problems, guys. Do you know I never used to have crisps and dips until I went to stay at Laura's for the first time and now I can't stop eating it like every night. It's your fault. Mind blown. (laughs) What, you just never had crisps and dip? Well, I I ate them at like parties, but not like of an evening. And now every night I'm like, oh, should we have some crisps? Who even are you? I mean, I don't eat crisps every night. Like it's a treat, but... Sure. (laughs) I... I would if I could, believe me, but I'm getting older now. My metabolism is slowing down. I can't be having a whole bag of crisps every night. Um, and one more thing that comes up a lot with cross-contamination is kissing. Can you kiss somebody after they've eaten gluten? Personally, I wouldn't go near Steve if he'd eaten gluten. And um, if I tried to, he's like, oh, gluten, stay back. So, I mean, I probably would definitely give it a few hours and make him brush his teeth. Yeah, but Dave will do the same. Just my my husband will pretty much reject me if I go to kiss him. And I'm like, I mean, hopefully it's not just a ploy that he's pretending to drink gluten beer so that he doesn't have to kiss them. (laughs) Well, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, if, if Dave's having a beer, he'll just stay clear of me for a little bit, just in case. Better safe than sorry. 
Exactly. So those are like a few of our tips. There's probably loads more. So feel free to share any good ones with us if you want to on Facebook or Instagram. And if you've got any questions, please keep sending them through to us on our Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, it'd be great to hear from you guys because I'm sure you've got some brilliant ideas too as to how to keep things safe. And on a related note, um, I actually had a read of a really great article by this week's guest, Emma Amascotto. Emma has written a fantastic birthday party guide, which is all about how to cater for a birthday party if you've got either kids with allergies or perhaps even guests with allergies. So many kids now have various allergies. I think it's really worth a read. Some really interesting points to consider from the basics about ensuring you're communicating well with your guests, like asking about the dietary needs, asking the parents of any allergy children what they'd like to do, to making subtle changes to the, like your menu, so to speak, like getting some allergy-friendly crisps and snacks, keeping packaging, obviously looking out for cross-contamination as we've just told you. And then like putting party bags together, including like non-food items, say games and toys that all children can play with. I found it a really useful read because although at the moment Alba doesn't have any allergies, uh, a couple of her friends do. And we obviously want to cater for everyone when we throw birthday parties for her. So we're going to link to Emma's blog in the show notes at the end. So we had a really good chat with Emma. Her two children both have multiple allergies and this actually sparked her writing her blog, Free From farmhouse and then a best-selling book called living with allergies she has got some fantastic tips for children with allergies free from diagnosis to things like parties and schools it's a really great interview so we hope you guys find it useful So we're very happy to have Emma Amascotto today on the podcast with us. Welcome, Emma. Hi. Um, Emma, for those of you who don't know her, um, blogs as Free From Farmhouse on your blog Um, and has recently published a brilliant book, Living With Allergies, all about practical tips for managing allergies within your family because, I mean, Emma... Both your kids have multiple allergies, don't they? So yes, become yes. quite an expert on the subject. Yeah, between them, yeah, they've got quite a few that we've had to learn how to handle. So we wanted to talk to you today all about having kids with allergies, as well as your Amazon bestseller book. <laughs> um, so shall we kick things off? Do you want to tell us a bit about your kids? Sure. So I've got um, two kids, James, who's six, and Amalia, who's three, and. Oh, troublemakers <laughs> as they should be as they should be don't fill his energy like to get up at a ridiculous time of the morning well, those ages day. as well yeah bouncing <laughs> off the walls um yeah and they've both got multiple allergies food allergies environmental allergies gosh multiple allergies as well i don't even know how many have other people in your family do they have allergies or was it out of the blue that your kids no, developed them? it wasn't completely out of the blue i don't think i really understood the connections until we had them but yeah. um my sister's got that allergy my husband's sister has got um, quite a lot of environmental allergies. I've got asthma. My husband's got hay fever. So when you kind of understand the kind of atopic background and how it all works, yeah. I'm not really sure they stood out much of the time, really. And so when did you first realise that James is your eldest, isn't he? Yeah. When did you first realise that James had any allergies? Well, to start with, we didn't realise it was allergies. So he was just a very unhappy baby. Oh. I mean... Um, you know, he, he didn't sleep, he cried most of the time, um, and by about 10 weeks old, he was just, like, covered in eczema, like, red, raw eczema. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, and so we knew something was wrong, and I went to the doctors a lot, and they just kept giving me more creams and saying, put the creams on more, and I kept going back and saying, the creams aren't doing anything, mm. it's not working. Um, 
And so to cut a long story short, um, we still weren't told it was allergies. So we ended up in the hospital uh, with the eczema. And I think I must have started researching it at that point. So I remember asking the dermatology consultant, do you think it could be allergies? Could it be something, because I was breastfeeding, like could it be something going through my milk? Yeah. And him saying, no, it wouldn't go through your milk strongly enough oh, to no. cause this kind of reaction, which I now know is total rubbish. Yeah. But yeah. at the time you listen to the consultant, you say, oh, okay well, you then. you think they're the experts. Definitely. If someone's reassuring you and they are qualified medical professional, you just Exactly, exactly. So they, they gave us some very strong steroids to sort the eczema out, which worked, but every time we tried to drop it down and come off it, it just flared back up yeah. horribly again. So it wasn't until we started weaning him and he had some immediate reactions and some big reactions then that we got referred and got the diagnosis about, I think he was about nine months old when yeah. he officially got Wow, it must be quite scary with the reactions as well. I know a friend of mine recently, her son had a huge reaction to nuts mm. and they had to, yeah, like a big, it was awful for them but, but it, as a parent it's that kind of panic as well when you're in a situation you don't know what's happening yeah. and what actions do you take if, if that happens to your child yeah it's very scary I mean the, the big one he had when I was weaning him was to hummus and I hadn't thought anything of it I was just weaning him I was having a bit of hummus gave him a bit of my finger and he immediately spat it out didn't even eat it mm. and then just vomited got covered head to toes in hives wow. and yeah I I, yeah, as you say, you don't know what to do. So I had antihistamine in the house, gave him that, and then took him to the GPs because that was what was local and was like, see my child, yeah, yeah. do something. Um, but yeah, it's very kind of, yeah, just overwhelming to start yeah. with. And, and just after we'd been, he'd been diagnosed, we then went, we were going to America a couple of weeks later to visit my husband's family. And now you're suddenly like, oh, I've got to get on a plane, I've got to keep him safe abroad. Yeah. And so yeah, it's just a lot to kind of take in and process and... Yeah. So what did you do, like, obviously, when you started to realise that he had these allergies, mm. what were your sort of next steps? Because it must have been very overwhelming to know where to even start. Yeah, absolutely. So just reading the whole internet, basically. <laughs> you know, I think, like, every mum, when you're, like, worried about something, you just go and start Googling. Oh, damn Google wormhole. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, why did I start yeah, this? You go yeah, you don't Google wormhole, you start reading everything you can. And with my background as a journalist, you know, I want to, you know, know all that even more. Yeah. Yeah, just trying to make sense of it. Like, I remember when I first got to America and I found a book over there that was like a free from baking book. Okay. And I was just like, oh, this is amazing. Like, oh, I can do this. You know, everything you're used to doing or used to making yeah. is suddenly kind of blown apart. So it's trying to figure out that new normal. And then he went on to have an anaphylactic reaction when he was 15 months old. Um, and that kind of you know, hit everything up at another level yeah. really from there. So what yeah. happened when he had this reaction? Was that the first sort of major reaction he's had? Can you talk us through a bit about what happened then? Yeah, so I mean, he'd had big reactions before, but not ones that had um, affected his breathing in mm. the same way. So we were away with our NCT friends, actually. We'd all gone away for the weekend. Um, and it was supposed to be my lion. I was staying in this lovely big room. I was oh. sleeping and Carl had taken him downstairs. Um, and he was playing with the other kids and... He got hold of another kid's milk bottle, you know, like they do at that so age, easy, like walked yeah. over and um, grabbed it. And before, before like Carl or the other parents could kind of take it away, he took a sip, and it was only like a little sip. And then he couldn't breathe properly, so his airways were closing wow. up. He was struggling to breathe, and Carl rushed him upstairs. And yeah, it was quite obvious fairly quickly that like antihistamines weren't going to do anything. Because liquid antihistamine, isn't it? That's like a. I know my friends have recommended that as a kind of for the milder reactions, not anaphylactic. Exactly. Not, so it's, it's perfectly fine for a mild reaction if you've just got hives yeah. or something like that. But when you've got anaphylaxis, the only treatment is adrenaline. Like the antihistamine is not going to help with that. So thankfully, we'd already been given 
the adrenaline injectors, given the EpiPen. Got because, to stay lucky. Because of the severity of his reactions before and his tests, and because he'd been having um, bronchiolitis and things, they'd given us the EpiPen. So luckily we had them and we were able to use them, mm -hmm. use one on him. And again, thankfully, once we used it, it, it eased it really quickly. Always in the back of your mind. Yeah. Whenever you're, especially when you're weaning them and you're trying them on different allergens, just hospitals five minutes down the road yeah. yeah and I will always try them at home because I know then yeah. like the doctors yeah. there. hospital is down the road mm. yeah, so did that make you like really scared to sort of try James on any new foods because I think I'd be terrified mm. it did I think yeah it completely kicked up the fear both in terms of trying them on new foods but just everyday activities so going to a playgroup yeah. where you take your kid and everyone's you know there's kids drinking milk there's parents with half drunken cups of tea on the, yeah. on the floor yeah. there's crumbs everywhere and it's just this you, you're constantly on high alert kind of scanning for danger and everything everything that it, you don't realize how much involves food yes until it's suddenly a, a kind of fearful thing so you know going out for lunch it's like oh really or going for a picnic or being asked around for a friend's house like everything suddenly comes with this extra layer yeah. of kind of worry and things like um children's parties in particular yeah. i mean it, maybe it's got easier as he's got older and is able to understand more but how does james know what he should and shouldn't eat when he goes to party it definitely gets easier as they get older the more understanding they have you know when they're still young and they're crawling around you can't really explain it to them or reason with them i think that's a really really stressful time yeah. for parents because you have to be on it yeah. You know, um, as they get older, James is now much more aware and understanding of what he can and can't have, and much better. You know, he will advocate for himself, so we'll go to a party and he'll ask, you know, is it regular? Oh, what's like, that? I can't have yeah. that. So he's, you know, he's, we've worked with him to make sure he's quite confident in kind of talking about it, and he's not, Brilliant. it's not something he's embarrassed or ashamed of at the moment. So it depends. Sometimes we will just take our own food. If it's a parent that we know well and can work with and kind of trust to do food, mm. sometimes we'll have theirs. Or if it's at a venue, we'll call the venue and if they can cater for him, yeah. great. And if not, we'll take our own food. For him, it's always the cakes. He can never have the cakes. Yeah. They've oh. always got egg in Have you there. found the egg-free cake yet? The, I know, the we new one, yeah. Oh, there's one now. Yes, oh, one is came out a couple of months ago. So it's the um, Just Love Food Company. Oh, yeah, we've always done. Mm, so they've yeah. always done nut-free cake. Yeah. And I think possibly pizza. I'm not sure. Okay, yeah. But this is a vegan one. It's the first one that you oh, can like, get great. on the shelves in the supermarket. Yeah, so it was very exciting. We went and bought it um, actually for a cake sale at school. It was the first time I didn't have to make my own cakes to go and then oh, buy them back again and just buy them off the shelves. So yeah, that's very exciting. Because I know we talked about that in the past, just the, and how many products have may yeah. contain nuts, oh, may so contain many. Yeah. Yeah. the minefield. Yeah, and that's why this one's so nice, because it's vegan and it's not free. Mm. So, yeah, Amazing. Really so what is James allergic to, and was this all diagnosed at the same time, or has it kind of happened gradually? So he, um, he's grown out of a couple of his allergies, yeah. which is amazing. So now he's allergic to peanuts, um, tree nuts, eggs, sesame, and garlic. Okay. He was allergic to milk, and that's what he had his anaphylactic reaction to. But amazingly, he's he's grown out of it. Wow! So now he can. He won't. He still won't drink milk because he doesn't like the taste. He's not yeah. used to it. Yeah. But he can have normal yogurt, normal cheese, normal chocolate. Oh, which is yeah. yeah, absolutely. And he was also allergic to to white fish when he was little as well, and he's outgrown that one as well. Wow! And Amalia. Yeah. Yeah. she grown out of something? I feel like I saw on your Instagram, you had her on the milk she, ladder. Yeah, she's on the milk ladder. She's on her way, fingers crossed. So she okay. is allergic to milk, eggs, sesame, and chilli. But she's working up the milk ladder. So now she can have, um, she have baked milk, fine. And we're going to try her soon on kind of the next level. 
And um, for people who don't understand what I'm mm, saying, yes. milk ladder, yeah, I mean, like me. So, <laughs> do you mind explaining kind of what that is? And yeah, the... so a milk ladder is a way to slowly introduce milk. So, if your tests are lower, or they think you might be able to tolerate some milk in some way, then you can start on that. And actually, they reckon about eighty percent of children with a milk allergy can tolerate baked milk because oh, wow. it changes the proteins when it's cooked. Oh. So even if you're allergic to milk, yogurt, things like that, there's a high likelihood that you'll be able to have it baked. Oh, and so okay. it's not for, not for everyone, but a lot of people can. And there's other research that also suggests if you include baked milk in their diet, they're more likely to outgrow it. With, they're still not 100% sure whether that's because you would be more likely to have outgrown it anyway. Yeah. Or it's actually doing something. Okay. Um, so yeah, so she's been able to start on that and it hasn't had any reactions so far wow. so yeah fingers crossed we're going to attempt to work her up a little bit further before she starts school in September so which yeah which would be amazing so yeah. when you had Amalia like how was it different to when you had James were you really worried about her having allergies or were you a bit more like okay if this happens we can deal with it like how was it different yeah I was definitely worried about it but you're just much more aware and conscious and ready for it. Yeah. So I'd spoken to James's consultant when I was pregnant with her and said, you know, what should I eat? What shouldn't I eat? Should I preemptively cut dairy out my diet before I have her? And the consultant had said, no, just carry on eating a normal diet and wait and see if you have any symptoms. Okay. So it was obvious to me from the first day that she was allergic. Now, there's different research on whether that's possible, but from my experience and from a lot of other parents' experience, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and so I was feeding her the first day in hospital and she was just, uh, wouldn't take it all in, was vomiting. Yeah. And um, they kept coming to try and help and, and eventually were like, oh, I think you know we need to top her up with formula. And so I told them about James and said, I'm not topping her up with formula unless you give me a dairy-free one. And they were like, oh, you wouldn't be able to tell this early, we're not doing that okay she's not having it then um and literally I had to spend a couple of days in hospital and I had a big cheesy meal a couple of days later and then she was really bad again oh, no. all afternoon all off evening I didn't actually cut it out straight away because I didn't want to think that I was over analyzing you or know just making the assumption yeah exactly yeah. making the assumption that's the way it was so I kept dairy in I don't know how much longer it was probably a few weeks or so until it got to the point where I was like you I could see her going the same kind of pattern that James had yeah. with the eczema and down that yeah. room and I cut it out yeah and it made a big difference there were then a few more things I ended up having to cut out and um, it can become a bit of a confusing puzzle you can kind of go a bit crazy trying yeah. to figure out exactly what it is but I think second time around yeah you're just you you know what to look for you know to trust your instincts and you just got a bit more confidence approaching medical professionals whereas the first time you get a lot of, oh are you a first time mom you know babies mm. cry and it can be well, yeah. so you shouldn't underestimate the instincts that you have as a parent. I, I never really realised that until you get there. Like, yeah. You know your own child. You know your Even own though child, you're completely yeah. inexperienced yeah. when you yeah. first get that baby, it's amazing how well you know them and how quickly you, you, you know it. if something's wrong. And yeah. Um, have you had any tricky situations with family and friends? Like, I guess, obviously, everyone means well, yeah. but I'm sure there have been instances where uh, there's been an issue because someone's made a mistake mm. or realised yeah that there was one lot was it last year yeah it was last year my my mum was looking after the kids and bless her she was making my vegan cake recipe for my birthday yeah. with oh. the kids and went out and bought some cake toppings which she assumed didn't have egg in and they were like little sugary ones yeah couldn't see the ingredients they were there they're quite small on the side but thought oh you know they're just made with sugar 
turns out they were made with egg whites. Oh no. Yeah, I had two very vomity children to, oh, no. <laughs> to oh. clear up after. So um, yeah, I think it gave her a bit of a, a little bit of a reality check, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Of course. And, you know, we have to be very firm with her, you know, what our rule is. If you can't see the ingredients, don't you don't eat just it. Just yeah. it. You don't assume. Or you even guess. If, you know, if you've bought a product before, always check, just yeah. in case mm. something's changed exactly. in the, in the how they Allergies hide in weird places that you wouldn't expect. There's, yeah. you know, things like we have to be careful with um, sausages because you can get egg in them, or ham that has milk in them, like really strange things that you wouldn't think of looking yeah. for. So it has to be a kind of consistent rule that it doesn't matter what you think something contains, you've got to be able to read it. And would that be like the main piece of advice that you'd give to people who are catering for children with allergies? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to you have to be clear what your policies are. Mm-hmm. Basically, it sounds strange to say yeah. policies, but what are you comfortable with? The more consistent it is, the easier it is for everybody to follow. So yes, I would say absolutely the ingredients thing. Always read the ingredients. So James knows if he has something from school, even if it's something that he's had before, like Haribo, which. It's always fine. However, he's always fine, but he's not allowed to open it until he's brought it home and, you know, checked. Yeah. Um, or he has, you know, trusted teachers that we've worked with before who we would trust to say, read this and look. Yeah, and, and the same with friends and family. You know, if you're going to put them in the care of others, it's more difficult with friends and family sometimes than it is with schools or nurseries. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's family, mm-hmm. you know, so it's all that slightly awkward, you know, if they do something wrong or you want them to do things a certain way... Or they're thinking, oh, she's being overprotective. Exactly. Fine. Exactly. So I think a lot of people, yeah, have a few issues with trying to get a family to understand. Yeah. Um, Especially if they haven't experienced a reaction. I think if they experience a reaction, it's different because they see it for themselves. Yes. If they haven't been there when this child's had a reaction, I think sometimes, yeah, it's that feeling that they're overreacting. And so obviously when when James had his first, like, major reaction... Mm that kind of prompted you to start your blog. So how did that kind of come about? Why did you start it? Yeah, so I'd actually um, randomly had another blog, which I I started when he was born, um, just as kind of a project to keep me writing, uh, which was called Baby in My Backpack, which is going to be about travelling with a baby. So I'd already had the idea that I wanted to start a blog, but it wasn't something I really got into. And then when James had his anaphylactic reaction... Obviously, I was back on the internet again, reading things and researching and looking for it. And it was really, to start with, a way for me to just process my feelings and experiences and writing, you know, helped with that. Um, And so then, yeah, it just started to grow from there in terms of a way to connect with other parents going through the same thing and kind of offer my advice or... And that's now grown into this amazing blog, but also your book. So tell us about your book. Yeah, so that's been pretty exciting. So my book came out two months ago called Living with Allergies, Practical Tips for the Family. And it's basically the book I wanted when my kids were diagnosed. So it's a book that I looked for and couldn't find because I wanted all that information in one place Mm. um, and to know what to trust and what was real because there's, you know, there's tons of information across the internet and there's places you can trust like Allergy UK and Anaphylaxis Campaign. And your book's accredited by Allergy UK. Yeah, yeah, so it's been clinically reviewed and endorsed by them. So that was reliable. Yeah, yeah. that was really important to me. I wanted people to be able to know that it wasn't just, you know, some mum in a bedroom writing it, that it was actually reliable. Yeah, so it brings together all the stuff I wanted really. So it's got all the latest research and the science behind allergies so that you can properly understand 
what causes them, how a reaction happens, all that kind of stuff. And then it's got a lot of interviews with experts in there, with allergy consultants, dietitians, lots of people from different um, aspects. It also covers eczema and asthma and related conditions Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And then it's got lots of practical tips in there. So it kind of takes you through the basics and then it it goes in almost a a timeline, really. So, you know, what do you when they're an infant and then when you go to school and then when you're an adult and eating out and travelling and all stuff like that. Yeah, it's been really good. And I've had, yeah, lots of amazing feedback from people. Um, Brilliant. And you've been all over the TV yeah. and radio as well, haven't you, on This Morning? Yeah, which has been yeah that was pretty quite good. Exciting. It was. Really that cool. was a bit of a bucket list moment. I that bet. was, yeah. <laughs> you kind of pinch yourself. Like, okay, yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do you find those daunting at all, those interviews? Or I, as a journalist, I guess you kind of experienced it. Not really. I got, yeah, I really like them. Obviously, it's a bit daunting, you know, yeah. you're about to go on live TV. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, really, I really enjoy them, yeah. Oh, amazing. So what's kind of next for you... I mean, you've written this book. It seems to be really well received. It's it was a bestseller on Amazon. Are you planning another one or anything? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a few possible ones in the pipeline. I'd like to do a children's one, kind of similar idea, but aimed um, at kids. Oh, great! So there's, yeah. there are other ones out there, but they're all quite story led rather than my kids quite like Osborne the flip the flat books where it's just like good pictures and. Um, kind of clear information yeah. so yeah. I'd like to do I'd like to do something along those lines and there's possibly another book in the pipeline which I can't say too much about now Ooh. but hopefully that one will will work out soon yeah and just to yeah expand the kind of support level and and do you mind me asking a few questions quickly about um traveling with yeah. kids and that you still manage to travel a lot don't you yeah so we try to um it's something that I always loved I traveled a lot before I had kids and it was always going to be something I wanted to do with the kids yeah obviously then you have kids and you realize traveling with kids isn't quite as easy as you thought it was going to be and then you throw in the allergies and it's like oh the yeah. kind of fear factor gets kicked up a lot because you know now you're having to deal with things in a different country where you not, might not speak the language yeah. you haven't got access to kind of all the food or supermarkets that you're used to but yeah, we've managed to, we've been to America a few times and a few places across Europe and out to Dubai, we go to Greece this summer. Um, so yeah, we've managed to... And do you eat at restaurants when you're abroad? We do. I mean, mainly we self-cater, yeah. but we do eat out in restaurants when we're there as well. I mean, yeah. the kids as well self-catering is yeah. the <laughs> option, isn't it? That they go to bed and you can finally yeah. breathe, have a glass of wine. <laughs> so are there any places that were particularly good with allergies that you visited that you might go back to or recommend like any countries I think it differs so much I mean Europe's really good because obviously they have the same labeling as here so they have to mm. label for the 14 allergies so in that way the labeling is good and it's consistent so you know what you're looking for and although it's in a different yeah. language you know that things have to be bold you yeah. know the things that they have to highlight for um, and the same with restaurants it, again it can differ obviously where you are in the understanding but in terms of the regulation it's right. the same um, in America, it's a, it's a tricky one for us because they don't have 14 top allergens. They only have eight, oh, okay. and sesame isn't one of them. Okay. So they don't have to right. label for sesame. So, and that's a big thing that they're pushing for over there to get sesame that labeled. Sesame is a big allergen, is a big one. It's number nine on oh, kind wow. of the most common allergies. Um, and it's a really tricky one because, again, it kind of hides in stuff. But we, we had a few, yeah, we had some good experiences over there as well. And even in Dubai, we, yeah, we ate out a few times over there. It's, I think wherever you go, it's the individual restaurant and the people that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, you know, even here within chains, it depends on sometimes the waiter you get on the day. So yeah. it's being able to 
have that conversation and communicate and if you're going abroad to have a translation card so that it's very clear and easy for people to understand that's really encouraging. Um, and so you also run the website um, Allergy Travels, don't you? With yeah. a couple of others in different parts of the world, all yeah. about allergies and Yeah, hunting. so that came about quite randomly. Um, I'd been thinking I wanted to do something with the allergy and travels because when I was researching it, I couldn't find all the information I wanted in one place. So I'd have to go to lots of different sites and it was a bit frustrating. And again, that kind of who do I trust? What do I look for? Mm. And so I had joined a Facebook forum that was something to do with traveling with allergies. And then Kyle, who is Canadian and does a lot of stuff with allergies, came on and said something about, oh, does anybody want to talk about kind of a project I'm thinking about? And yeah, he'd already started speaking to the other guys, Ali and Courtney, and we just kind of came up with this idea together. And it's been quite a few years now. It's, I think it's been at least three years now we've been doing so it. There must be some really good resources on there. For yeah, it's been really good. And we've got a nice thriving Facebook group, which is really good. Just lots of people being kind of supported and encouraged. A lot of people coming on there and saying, oh, I'm scared of doing this. Or people being able to give specific tips for different places in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been really good. So I think finally, to finish up, because we're asking all our guests the same question at the end, what pile of wisdom would you like to share with our listeners? I think the one thing I would say is try to focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do. Because it's very easy, you know, to feel sad or scared or overwhelmed by an allergy diagnosis. And it's not all going to come quickly. I'm not saying you need to run off to another country the day after you're diagnosed. But most things are possible if you think about how you can do them. And you might have to do them slightly differently to usual. It might not be you can do exactly the same thing you would have done before. But with a little preparation and planning and understanding, there's usually a way around most things. And then you can start focusing on the positives rather than just on the, on the difficulties. We wholeheartedly agree. I, just, I know I think for you as well. And yeah. That we really just try and encourage people that you can still do everything. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah that's, that's a brilliant way to sum up. Yeah. Um, Emma, so if anyone wants to find out more about you or read your book, can you remind us where we can find you on the internet and the name of your book? Yeah, so my blog is freefromfarmhouse.co.uk and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at freefromfarm. And the book is Living With Allergies and available Amazon and all good bookshops. Go buy it. Go buy it. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for taking you. the time to That was a fantastic interview with Emma. She is so knowledgeable about living with allergies and a lot of what she said is applicable if you have celiac disease as well or any other severe dietary requirement. Um, I know we certainly picked up some tips and I'm sure hearing about Emma's allergy travel adventures will give other allergy parents the confidence to get out and explore and if you'd like to win a copy of emma's amazing book living with allergies which is full of loads of practical tips for all the family then all you need to do is leave us a five-star review on itunes or a recommendation on our facebook page screenshot it and send it to us so that we can enter you So guys, if you've already left us a review from a previous competition, but you want to enter this one as well, don't worry, you still can. All you need to do is screenshot that original review and send it to us again so that we know you want to be entered into the draw. Um, Also, don't forget to send us any other questions you might want us to answer on the next episode because we love getting your questions and they're always fun to answer. Now next week we'll be speaking to the lovely Brownie Hopkins who is gluten and dairy free and lives with Crohn's disease. 
Brian is a huge advocate for body positivity and we talked about loads of things including liquid diet, surgery, growing up with Crohn's and how she's learned to love her body again and I think this is one not to be missed especially if you feel like you lack body positivity yourself. Bryony is just an amazing voice of positivity and it's so great to hear from someone who suffers from IBD yet manages to live a fulfilling and happy life um and it yeah really is a great episode so please do tune in um you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes find us at oh crumbs well i'm assuming you've already found us because you're listening to us but if you're listening on our web players that's what you do you can also like us on social media you can find us on facebook and instagram at oh crumbs podcast and we'd love it if you would follow us there see you next week have a lovely week everyone bye, bye. don't put that in the outtakes no i'm gonna delete it i'm gonna put this bit in the outtakes <laughs> um, oh man i'm just ballsing it all up aren't i now brian is gluten and dairy free and lives with crohn's disease i've lost the ability to talk today living with allergies <laughs> now Sarah should we do some voice exercises let's sing <laughs> <laughs>